This episode is sponsored by The International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need The International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing. All subjects and grade levels are needed. For a limited time only, Thai is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit ThaiOnline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. Early during the COVID pandemic, I got a request to be on the Flourish in the Foreign podcast. I hadn't yet heard an episode, but I was intrigued by the premise, which focused on expatriation and wellness from the point of view of Black women. It seemed cool, and I agreed. It wasn't really a common topic, and I always enjoy connecting with content creators, especially those of color. And that's how I first met Christine Job, the host. To hear me and Christine talk now, you would think we've known each other for forever. Because as soon as we're in the same space, a 20-minute planned conversation ends up being closer to two hours. I know part of it's because of our shared overlapping interests. We love talking about podcasting, the expat life, the Black experience, and definitely business. So the reality is, one of those topics, or a combination of them, always comes up. Which is why I'm excited to have Christine in this episode. One of the things you will hear pretty quickly is how genuine and humorous she is. As a business strategist, she guides her clients in finding their why and then gives them the tools to chase after it. For the past few years, she's been building a life and a business from Spain, and she's got quite the story to tell. In this episode, you will hear how this lawyer-trained entrepreneur had a few life-changing events that sent her on a course to Europe. She also discusses why wellness is the hallmark of the work she does. And she drops some gems on why it's more important to listen to your purpose and not the haters. So sure, this is an interview. Yes, I ask her questions. But honestly, we would most likely be having the same type of conversation on any random day of the week. Welcome to the Global Chatter. Okay, so I think it's really weird to introduce Christine because Christine is so known in these black expat streets. If you've visited the website, she's <laughs> she's been writing for us for a while, um, especially in the past year. And if you have hopped on our YouTube channel, albeit I seem to have had tech issues every time, uh, <laughs> Christine has been an amazing partner of just talking about entrepreneurship and life abroad. And we have done live Instagram. She is the first person. This is the only reason I ever did live Instagram is because of your you and your brand. And I think my second live <laughs> Instagram was because of you. But Christine Job is with us um, on, on today's episode because I realized that I've never formally asked her story, even though I have been on her podcast 
flourish in the foreign. So Christine, welcome, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I mean, you know, every time we get together, we have like amazing conversations. So this is gonna be fun. This is true. People do, they'd like them. And I, and here's the thing. I, I told you this off the air. Yes, I have a plan. Now, whether the plan <laughs> in terms of the questioning is going to stay, this is we're going to stay on it is one thing, but you know, it is what it is. So, you know, I'm excited to have you because I, I think that you, you keep it real. And I know people say that, but you are the <laughs> outside of me. I think you and maybe Carla, uh, and people know Carla Frazier, you are probably the most honest person about, <laughs> about especially running a business. I know, I know we have the context of kind of living abroad, but you're, you're pretty real with it. Yeah, because, because I love people and I want to see them win. And I don't believe in, in painting some kind of fairy tales or dumbing things down. I think we all have the capacity to rise to the occasion. And so instead of telling you like, yeah, you can move abroad with a backpack and dreams, or (laughs) you can have a six figure business in 10 days. I, I rather talk about, um, you know, sustainability. I rather talk about how you can live your best life and live a life well lived abroad and how developing a business can actually help you do that as well. Um, I'm not interested in get like get rich fast kind of schemes or these, you know, inspo Instagram kind of posts about living abroad. I'm about actually living abroad and staying abroad and thriving abroad. So. Yeah. And I I think both of us have been doing this long enough that as, as we were talking off air at some point, you got to get past the superficial and get into the, the deeper conversations with all of this, whether it's running a business, whether it's living abroad, whether it's combining the two, whether it's whatever it is you're trying to do, that there should be some depth to it. And so I, I know that we will have a wonderful conversation because if nothing else, we, <laughs> we do that well when we get together. So so first question I wanted to, to start off, um, obviously they can tell from your accent that you are American, but where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, unless you're actually from the city of Atlanta. <laughs> if you're from the city of Atlanta, then I'm from Suwannee, Georgia, and y'all know what it is. Atlanta <laughs> is a sprawling metropolis. And if I say I'm from, from Suwannee, you're going to think I'm from like some podunk town in Georgia, and that is just not the case. So I'm from Atlanta. I was raised in Atlanta. I went to university at the University of Georgia. Like that's, that's my hometown. Okay. I didn't even know you went to UGA. How did I not know this? Really? I did. I went to UGA and then wow. I, I studied abroad in Valencia, which, which is the city I'm in currently, um, with UGA's UGA in España program a long time ago. Long. <laughs> I don't know what to say how long, but so long that the, the city looks very different now. There's been a whole urban plan that has been enacted. <laughs> What did you study at UGA? I studied business management, music business, and I minored in Spanish. Okay, that's real interesting. Why why music business? Because when I was actually uh, younger, I was a child actor. (laughs) That's kind of weird to say I was a child actor. Were you really? I really was. (laughs) 
I really okay. was. I was into musicals and I really thought I wanted to do music business. I thought I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer, actually. And so when I eventually moved to Miami to attend the University of Miami um, Law School, I got to shadow an entertainment attorney like my first semester of law school, which you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to do anything except for study. But I don't come from a background of lawyers. So I was like, no, I need to like know people because I don't got daddy's law firm. Um, mm-hmm. And I shadowed him and I was like, this is not what I want to do. Uh, I, I just what, But that's why we shadow though, right? Is to, I mean, a good shadow experience, either it's like you're hyped about the, the, the field you're going into or you're like, I don't want to ever do this again. Yeah, no, I just, just, but that's actually how I felt generally about law, like in general. I I was just like, (laughs) I don't want to be a lawyer because people I went to law school with in my class, they are cream of the cream entertainment lawyers for like music festivals and, and, you know, CAA, like they're like doing it. But when I understood what it was to be an entertainment lawyer, I was like, oh, no. And then when I just was like, what about just being a lawyer? And I was like, oh, no. So it was just bad all around. So let me back up for a second. Because you went to the University of Miami, was it because you had an interest in entertainment law? Is that what influenced your decision to go to Miami or was that? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is that's a whole long story. I'm going to make it abbreviated. So um, how I ended up going to University of Miami was they had a dual JD um, Masters of Music uh, program. So I thought I was going to do that. Um, And I was enrolled in it until I was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Um, And uh, I also got a summer fellowship the summer before I attended law school, um, the JWJ, in case people went to University of Miami School of Law. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really pivotal for me. Um, uh, it was a really great experience, but that's why I ended up going to University of Miami. It w- hadn't been on my radar at all until that happened. Okay, so the funny thing is, is that you are you are probably at least the second, if not third, someone who went to law school. <laughs> I, well, so, okay, let me back it up. So I'm gonna call Dana because we haven't talked, I haven't talked about Dana in a minute. Dana was our very, very first episode. I've known her for a while. She's currently in the UK. She was in the Netherlands for a long time, runs Ancestors Unknown. So she has a law degree that is currently not, <laughs> not being used. And then I think four episodes later, three episodes later, I had someone who, oh my gosh, she started law school and then something the finances didn't work out. She ran abroad and never came back. <laughs> so, so you're looking at me like, yeah, this is this is similar. Go ahead. Law school is just something you shouldn't just do and dally with. Like part of the reason why I went to law school is because it was expected from like family. Um, I thought it was like my dream and things like that. I also graduated university undergrad in the midst of the great recession. So it was like, what am I going to do? There's nothing to do, but go to law school. And that's not true. (laughs) I should have just moved to Spain there, but I didn't. (laughs) No, she didn't. Okay. So, but let's talk a little bit about that undergrad. I know we rushed ahead, but what made you choose to study abroad in undergrad and why did you particularly choose Spain? Yeah, I, I went to university knowing I was going to study abroad. 
which was when I tell people that they're like, really? So it wasn't university marketing. I was like, no, I told my (laughs) advisor that I was going to study abroad and they're like, well, we'll see. And I was like, you don't understand what I'm saying to you, Sharon, Mm -hmm. I'm going to study abroad. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) And that's because I think, um, I, I started to travel at such a young age. I traveled Hmm. as an unaccompanied minor back in the late 90s when I was like four years old, when you could do that. I don't think they could do that now. I was unaccompanied minor really, really young. Um, My parents were in the military. They were stationed sometimes abroad and I would be shuttled in between grandparents and aunts in the United States. My dad was then stationed um, in Germany. My parents were split up. So I would start visiting him when I was 10 years old. So then I'm traveling internationally and then I'm experiencing Germany. And also I was really, I think it was really important that my mom, although she didn't live abroad outside of her deployments in the military, her and her girlfriends would go on trips. They went to Spain before I ever went to Spain. They went to Mexico. And I think it was really important to see like, not just moms on vacation, but like mom is exploring the world. And so, mm-hmm. and that happened all throughout my family. Also, you know, my, my dad is actually an immigrant from Trinidad. So I have Trinidadian grandparents. So a lot of this was just normal, like this kind of migration and moving. So by the time I was 17, I was like, I'm going to live abroad for sure. But the next step is to study abroad. Definitely. And honestly, uh, Spain was kind of a fluke, even though I minored in Spanish, because I would go to the uh, study abroad fairs. And back in the day, they were in just like the biggest ballrooms at the university. And they just gave you all these like beautiful, like glossy brochures with a thick paper. They probably don't do that now because like that's not eco friendly. But I would take every single one of them in like the free tote they give you and then lug it to my dorm and dump it out on my floor and just go through every single one of them and be like, Tanzania, yeah, I could definitely go to Tanzania. Morocco, oh yeah, I could go. Australia, I was like, I wanna go everywhere. I would do anything, I don't care. Uh, I'm a business major, but I will go to Costa Rica and study biology, like, yeah, let's do it. I was just down, Um, but then, you know, uh, credits and and limited funding said, this needs to be an alignment. <laughs> right. This needs to actually right. make sense. And so UJ in España here in Valencia was the best fit because I studied international business while I was here. And also I got a lot of my Spanish credits done. So I learned, uh, I think it was Latin American literature, professional Spanish. Like, like I got a lot of credits knocked out when I was studying abroad. So it started off as like a, a dream and, and, and going anywhere and everywhere. And then I came down to reality and then, and I, and I did it and it was an interesting experience, right? It wasn't the best experience. And I like to tell people that because I don't want people to think I'm going to study abroad. It's going to be so romantic. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. some like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, like movie or something mm-hmm. like that. That might've super dated me, but it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not <laughs> Emily in Paris people. Okay. It's not, it's not going to be that. I was just talking about that show with a friend, by the way. 
by the way. She was like, I wanted to watch it, but so many people were hate watching it and they hated it. And I said, look, if you just suspend react, like it's a whimsical show about a young woman in Europe, whatever. Like, no, that's not going to be your experience. But I thought it was entertaining. But yes, continue on. It is not Emily in Paris if you have a Netflix. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't what I thought uh, my experience was going to be, right? I was the only Black person, person of any color, any color, um, in my cohort. <laughs> and it was a really interesting experience in class and privilege. Um, I was so excited to go and to come to Spain and to study. And my other cohort cohort participants were just there to like drink because, you know, you could, <laughs> you know, in Spain, you know, the age limit, like they don't card people. They would show up to class with like purple mouths and tongues from drinking red wine. Now as an adult, I'm like, how much freaking wine are you drinking? Your whole mouth is red and you didn't brush your teeth. Like it's like, it's bizarre. As an adult, you're just like, this is nuts. This doesn't make any sense. And so it was disheartening in that kind of way because I had like expectations and I don't feel like they were met in that way, but it didn't deter me. If anything, it was like, okay, this might be my experience as a black American in Valencia at this time with these people. But I didn't think like living abroad wasn't for me. But I think it was an important experience also, just because obviously being othered um, at the time, Valencia didn't have as many black and brown faces. Now it has actually a lot more. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just dealing with that and being like, oh, wow, I'm in Europe and this is what may happen. So it was it was an interesting experience. Yeah, it's interesting. The number of people that I have spoken to who, if they did not grow up abroad, so we, if we remove that category, the number of folks who were study abroad really was the catalyst for them thinking about eventually going and living abroad. And, 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 and whether that experience happened in high school or it happened in college and university or even in grad school, it's amazing how whether the experience was good or bad, or and I, and I don't even think good or bad is really the right term. I think that these are stretch experiences, right? Like we have expectations, but we don't really know anywhere until we go there. And then we go there and go, okay, this is different. This is not how I envisioned in my head, yeah. but it, it, it colored how they would, they would see and, and go forward and, and live abroad eventually. And as you were talking, I was thinking about what you said earlier about, you know, your parents because of deployments and whatnot, you having the opportunity to travel by yourself and I was just thinking, yeah, I, you know, I, I was an unaccompanied minor flying. I think my first flight was 12 by myself international. And so, and, and, and you mentioned, I think your dad was in Germany. And I was like, I remember that because I was on Lufthansa and thinking Frankfurt had the most amazing room. Yes. I, it's like, do you know what I'm talking about? It was like the secret room. And it was just like all kids. It's like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. It's like all these kids. And it was like, there were the people watching us, right, to make sure you got on the flight. But there was like food and there were games and there was television. I exactly and what I was talking about. Lufthansa was the best to fly as an uncomfortable oh. minor. They gave you yes. all the snacks. You got your whole row to yourself. They don't want anyone sitting next to you. <laughs> next to you. And you got whatever you wanted. Oh my God, it was so and, great. And I, I remember at least when I was a kid, they, they had these like, it's almost like a pouch. <laughs> 
I don't know. You could what it is. It was it was Lufthansa branded, but you would put your you know your physical ticket in there, your passport. It would be all your stuff, and so they would make sure. You know, it was. I just remember being as a kid is that they would make sure you got from point A to point B. So there was a there was a, a flight attendant that was accompany you to where you need to go. But I remember when I was transitioning um, or transiting in Germany because I was there for like probably about four or five hours. There was this room, and I'm sure I could not find that room if you put like force me to in Frankfurt. But I remember being like, "Oh my God, there are all these kids," and it's just like none of us had parents with us, but there there were adults. It's just you know, it was like food and it was fun. I guess it's almost like the club lounge for kids. It was, kids. it was, <laughs> it was. And I don't know. Right? I think it's a, it's a, it's set a high bar for all these other lounges. Right? Because look, <laughs> right? if you're not with the entertainment and with the snacks, Yo. I don't know. You know who, okay. You, you said a thing, you know, speaking side note, who's got a high bar as an adult. As far as airlines are concerned, who and lounges, Qatar Airways. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't. I think they actually were just ranked number one. I'm so mad. I don't live in the part of the world anymore. Like I need a reason because they. I've never been so spoiled. Even even if you're just flying economy, y'all, yeah, it is an experience. But then if you get to fly, and I've flown business on them. Dude. Don't want to get off the plane. You're like, this is my life now. I'm not leaving. Because I, I, yeah, they, man, I, (laughs) and then you come back to the States and you're just so sad. I know, because at first (laughs) I thought you were going to say an American airline. I was like, I don't know whose lounge is that Girl, no. They, literally, they just released like the year end, you know, rankings of airlines. There wasn't a single american airline on there out of like 20 i think number two oddly enough i've never flown them was like air new zealand and then i got really interested <laughs> like it, yeah. right i was like Ooh, what are you what are y'all doing but i guess all their flights would be long haul anyway mm-hmm. yeah so they probably you know i find like you the long expl- haul like experts they do they know comfort really well they know how to keep everyone in line <laughs> they're not like the greyhound of the sky you know what <laughs> i mean you. So- <laughs> They know that comfort is really important to keep everyone calm and, and, and behaving. Well, and also I think because Qatar Airways, they've got a decent like seat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the if you're in economy, the seats are a, a decent size because people don't realize that some airlines will shrink the seat so they could put more seats in there. But also they just stay like they stay feeding you. And I think they always just go for the newest airplanes, too. So like you're right. They just keep you very occupied. But it's funny as you were talking about being an unencompany minor. And I just I have never I I didn't think to myself, you know what? That was like a kitty lounge. But now that now that I now that I'm grown, it was fantastic. I should (laughs) I I hope they still have that, you know, caliber of service for children now because they deserve it. It was amazing. And then as has spoiled us as adults now, unfortunately. So, <laughs> so, here's, so here we are. And so, okay. So what did you do after you graduated from law school? What did I do? So when I graduated from law school, I went rogue and I joined a startup in downtown Miami. And it was really interesting because you know, I had some friends who were like, what, what are you doing? You should study for the bar. Cause that's what you do when you graduate from law school, you immediately start studying for the bar. 
I didn't. I joined the startup and the startup then told me, hey, we're going on business trade mission to Namibia and South Africa. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes. And so when my friends (laughs) were studying in the library, I was... Uh, I was in South Africa and Namibia on trade mission and having such a life. Oh gosh. Like it was like a life crystallizing moment. I don't know if that's even a thing, right? Because so we're on trade mission with other businesses and things like that who are wanting to do business in Namibia and South Africa. Um, I was with a startup that uh, was working in entrepreneurship education. That's one of our arms that we did building out like curriculum for different kind of municipality, um, different, excuse me, municipalities around the world. So basically building out curriculum for K through 12 and then universities, mostly as a solution for uh, brain drain. And so when I went to Namibia, we were um, hosted by the then ambassador to uh, the the U.S. ambassador to Namibia, who was at the time a black woman. And at that time, you know, I'd graduated from law school. I had some learning. I'd traveled. And intellectually, I knew that black women could be ambassadors, but I had never seen it. And so when she opens the door and she's, well, she actually didn't open her door. Someone like a staff opened her door. When she- I was like- When she like, when she greeted us in her compound, I was like, wait, what? Yes. All I could think about was like, I, for some reason, seeing her in Namibia just crystallized something in my mind about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. And I just knew I wanted to be abroad. And I think that really changed the game for me for years and years and years to then come and do Flourish in the Foreign because that experience just told me I could go out there and do it. There are plenty of us out here doing it. Um, and it was really, yeah, it was a life-changing experience for me. So that's what I did immediately after graduating from law school. I then returned to Atlanta. I started my own consultancy doing business strategy, working then with micro-businesses, um, small business owners, maybe solopreneurs, primarily in the holistic wellness space, which was really interesting because I didn't have experience in that when I was in law school. I started my business strategy career in law school as a legal fellow and an entrepreneurial incubator. But the experience of law school made me lean heavily into wellness because I was like, I don't, I don't feel so well all the time, you know, like Mm -hmm. really leaning into mindfulness. And so when I returned to Atlanta, my business was then centered with holistic wellness practitioners across the spectrum. I produced a music festival when I was in Atlanta, but I think what also happened in Atlanta was I really came against this like friction. I had this friction point where I had this experience in South Africa and Namibia that I was like, this is something. I don't know what it is, but this is something. I also have the experience of, I don't want to be a lawyer. That's not where my happiness, professional wellness is going to lie. I like being a business strategist, but the only kind of structure I know to be successful is this grind culture. And I just wasn't in a space to sustain that for a long term. Um, 
And it was that kind of struggling with my own wellness for a couple of years that then led me to decide to take a sabbatical here to Spain. And then I never came back. So, (laughs) And I think that that is a great space for us to take a break so that we can run these ads real quick. And then we're going to talk about what life has been like for you in Spain and the work that you're doing with Flourish in the Foreign to help others build out and, and, and create the businesses that not only live, but survive and thrive. So check us out on the other side of the break. So we're going to pick back up from before the break. And if you were listening in, Christine gave kind of her crazy story as to how she got on the path to going to Spain. And so I want to actually follow up with that and say, all right, you made the decision to go to Spain after you did that amazing journey and walk and everything else that was going on with your life professionally in the States. What did you do when you first got to Spain? Yeah, so I moved to Spain in 2017, and I moved to La Rioja, Logroño, which is actually on the path of Camino de Santiago. Um, and I moved there because I did a program to be a language assistant, uh, roughly like kind of an English teacher in um, two different kind of small schools there. And I utilized that time as sabbatical because I was working 12 hours a week, which was nice. I was working Mm. three days a week. That was also beautiful, you know? (laughs) My brain checked out. You said 12 hours and I said, is she working 12 hours a day? You said a A week. week. My brain... Oh yeah. That was the emphasis. I was I was like a day? No, no 12 hours uh, a week and I really, you know, worked the the system obviously ethically mm-hmm. uh between my two schools <laughs> and I worked 3 days a week and so one one school I was working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The other school I'd be working Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So there was times in which I had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Plus, you know, Spain loves the holidays. So sometimes I was just a free bird, you know, and I really took that time to enjoy myself or at least to learn how to enjoy myself, because I also want to emphasize that changing your geographic location doesn't automatically change you and your habits and who you are. You know, when I left Atlanta, I was experiencing severe burnout, you know, and and mm-hmm. I was inundated with all these different kind of cues about productivity from grind culture. I took that with me to mm-hmm. Spain. So there were times in which I felt like, wow, I'm working 12 hours a week. And, you know, all a lot of my friends are attorneys. So I'm like, they work 12 hours a day, <laughs> you know, at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. I had a lot of feelings of productivity, like what am I doing with my life, all this other stuff. It's a lot of internal work that had to be done for me to say, Mm -hmm. I chose this life. I wanted this space. What am I going to do with this? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed with the possibility. Okay. But what am I going to do to discover what is best for me? And so that's what I first did when I moved to Spain. Um, 
I was a, a language assistant. That was, and it was fascinating because one of my schools, you know, I would tell people like, oh, I'm teaching at this school. And they're like, oh, the immigrant school. And I'd be like, what, mm. what does that even mean? Like, I didn't know what that meant at first. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't understanding if I was even translating that correctly. I was like, am I, am I miss, missing something? And I went to the school. Mm-hmm. It's the black and brown school. You know, this is where, uh, you know, first, second generation kids from Morocco, Mali, um, even Romania. It was just like there was all of these brown and black children and they were like, wait, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from the United States. And they're like, wait, what? They're like, you speak English fluently? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you were a lawyer in the United States? I was like, Yeah. And they were like, wow, you know, so it was important. And I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even really recognize my impact, if I could be so bold to say, um, of being a presence there, right? These are children Mm -hmm. that would be first, second generation, but this is an issue that is here in Spain for people who are second, third, fourth generation Spanish, but will never be deemed Spanish enough because of the color of their skin. These are mm-hmm. these are children that are feeling like, oh, I don't fit in. But it's like, but you speak like three or four languages. And then, you tr- and then I'm here to help mm-hmm. you learn English. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? You know, wanting these kids to know that they can do anything and that they should feel a sense of pride. And I felt like seeing me was... Uh, a big shock for them. I mean, I was the only teacher of any color, any, any color (laughs) at both these schools. There weren't nobody with any dusting of anything. So I knew it was important because they were just like, their minds were blown. They're like, wait, huh? What? And I thought that was important. That made me feel good for the time that I was there. Um, But uh, after that experience, I had a really great experience too, because some people don't have, there's like horror stories. People blog about it, vlog Mm -hmm. about it. I had actually a wonderful time uh, in La Rioja doing my thing. Um, Lots of free time. I did, you get paid a small stipend, but I I doubled my money because I'm a hustler like that. (laughs) So, (laughs) Can I, and can I, let me ask you a question because what you just said is so fascinating to me. And I also wonder kind of your thoughts, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to formulate this in my brain as I'm asking you this, by your own admission, and we know this because you've said it and, and we walked through your educational and your professional journey up until this mm-hmm. point, you are a Black educated woman with a law degree <laughs> and an undergraduate degree, right? And it's a shift to move to a different country and probably take on a role that some people, which I mean, I think that your students were taken aback for a lot of reasons, right? That you're this black woman who's American, who speaks English and was an attorney, but was, was there ever, and I'm not saying this is necessarily from the Spaniard to the folks you were working with or, but I wonder even, did you like folks that know you in the States where they just like, wait a minute, like you look, you like you have this thing, right? Like you, you've, you've kind of reached this pinnacle of, sort of like black excellence, right? You've, you've, you've got this education, you've got this career, you're in a black city, right? You were in Atlanta, you'd been in Miami. Was there ever sort of a little bit of a pushback of what are you doing? Um, 
I'm sure people thought it, but they know better not to come at me like that. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I'm definitely, definitely, I'm definitely a person that's like, I, I didn't ask for your opinion, and I will let people know that. I think, I think, of course, people are going to be confused about your decisions. I was confused about my decisions, but to be honest, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that I knew um, and that I know weren't super phased by it because they had seen how I moved after. Uh, I graduated from law school. You know, I didn't sit for the bar. I joined a startup and I was on a, you know, a, a, a trade mission to Namibia and South Africa while everybody else was in the library studying. And I was happy. <laughs> I was like, woohoo. Right. You know, I, right. I decided to start my own business. I produced a music festival. I Like I was doing weird stuff where people were like, and I had friends that were like, you know, you could always come work at my firm. Like you want to, you want to just come and come, come do this, you know? And I was just like, no, there's something inside of me that was super dissatisfied. Was I, did I feel insecure? A hundred percent. I think, I think mm-hmm. even if I would have stayed in Atlanta, but definitely being abroad and being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you see your friends tick all the boxes, even the boxes that you don't want to tick. And you're like, well, maybe I'm doing right. it wrong. Like I could have the security of friends and home and whatever people that I know, uh, a culture that I'm accustomed to. I could have the security of maybe a nine to five or for all my lawyer friends, uh, eight to nine, <laughs> um, right. you know, I, I could do all these things and it does make you second guess yourself for sure. I was like, I'm teaching. And, and the thing is I was teaching three-year-olds to 12-year-olds. Okay. I had different. And so I didn't know that though. And so they're like, okay, (laughs) and here are your students. And I was like, they don't even speak Spanish. They don't speak no language. What are you talking about? Also, are they potty trained? Because you know, when they, that, when some of them are young, young, I'm just saying. (laughs) I didn't have any, I didn't have to deal with any accidents, but they were like babies. And I was like, And I'm teaching them how to, you know, what are the English sounds that the animals make? Because animals make different sounds depending on where you are <laughs> in the world, right? I did have times where I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> but that wasn't because of your decision making. That was just the reality. That was just in the moment of what you were doing. You know, I mean, those are the things like when you, you're helping a student and you're like, you pick up the pencil and the pencil is sticky. And I was like, oh, this is not my ministry. This is not my ministry. Why is this pencil sticky? Why? <laughs> right. Like, no, my law degree didn't prepare me for all this though. Yeah. But you know, I, I stuck with it because inside... I felt like I knew best, even when I didn't even know what that was. I had to say to myself, you know what, Christine, you, this isn't a random thing for me. Like this has been step by step. There's been a lot of things I've discovered. Even while I was in law school, when I graduated, the things that I was yearning towards led me to this, this space. I'm seeking freedom. I'm seeking an opportunity to really cultivate and craft a lifestyle that I want. I don't want to be able to have all of the material things that everyone says I have, I need to have. And that's like, you know, consumption, but also like achievements. Um, and then be forced into a lifestyle that I, that's not conducive to what I want to do. I don't want to do those things. Right. You know what I find interesting is and and I know you were saying this probably in reality, but also in jest that you had friends 
as you were doing your things, who said, you know, you can come work at my firm. I think it's interesting when folks can't process the box that someone else or the space that someone else has created for themselves and then suggest, hey, you, but you can come do this. Because the thing is, if you wanted to work at a firm, you went to law, like you would have, you would have, I think you, you would have figured it out, yeah. right? Because that's, that's the normal path. But it's always interesting. And, and it's not necessarily in a bad way, but, you know, when folks start to see folks doing things that they wish they could do, you know, people say, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just take off and go to whatever. And and my mind is always thinking, for many of you, there there's not really anything tangible stopping you from trying to do something. It's just, it's not the thing you do, right? Because you're expected to meet these expectations. A hundred percent. And I, I do want to say that I'm in a, I think a fairly unique position, at least with all the guests I've interviewed and all, people, you know, they're kind of stories that they've shared on like Facebook. I don't have mm-hmm. an adversarial relationship with my family. Like my family mm-hmm. is, <laughs> they're cool <laughs> and whatever, but I, my family they don't tell me what to do. And I know that as a, mm-hmm. as there's different cultures at play and there's still, there's things that go on and I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but that's actually why I yeah. feel like I could just be like, yeah, you know, back in 2014 to my mom, be like, yeah, my, my job it to Kuala Lumpur fell through. So I'm going to go walk across Spain. See you later. Like I know a lot of people whose parents would be like, what? And they'd be like, no, my parents are not going to no. It doesn't matter how grown I am. I can't do that. Right. And then being like, yeah, I went to law school. I was president of my law school. Um, I'm going to go teach English for uh, nine months in Spain because I need a break. Okay. (laughs) And I understand that some people are like, culturally, they're like, I cannot do that. Right. Right. I can't have that conversation. But but I think it is interesting what you said, because I'm thinking a little bit of um, the interview I did with Rashida Dow got it right. She does on the Mm -hmm. loose and she talks a lot about taking a career gap, career break. And what she's seen with some clients where folks are basically like part of the reason, and she was talking particularly about black women, right? That there were all these different reasons that she's seen with clients that kind of held them back. And a lot of it was people. It was just people who it's like, they didn't want to figure out how to do the thing without that person being there, even though it was holding them back from, Mm you know, traveling, like the responsibilities, right? And, and I even remember another in, in interview I did a little bit with, with Dr. Carmen Brown, where we just sort of had this conversation around other people's expectations about what you do and people being able to deal with the fact that you want to do something different. And, I, and I'm laughing because you said, you know, you've just noticed that there's some people who have that real adversarial, <laughs> like their family's like, you can't do that. But I'm like, <laughs> But you can, you're grown. It's just that y'all are going to have to deal. Like, you don't want to deal with the fact that somebody truly is doing something either you secretly would love to consider doing or you just, they're just, they refuse, they refuse to do the pathway that everybody else does. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people are people pleasers and don't recognize themselves as that. And um, you're not going to be free pleasing everyone but yourself. 
You're not going to be free right. or happy or content um, doing all the things that people wish they could do. So they projected on you, on you. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to. And, and guess what? When you check all those boxes, they're still not going to be satisfied. Okay. <laughs> they're never going to be satisfied. Right. You got to satisfy yourself. And hopefully that'll inspire people to take their own dreams or own wellness seriously. But if it doesn't, yeah. they can be mad while you are happy. <laughs> and guess what? Y'all can't, y'all can't see her face, but she was very, her face was like, she's smiling, but her eyes are telling you, just let them know. Because look, <laughs> they can be mad while you are happy and your, your happiness will not be affected at all. I just want to let y'all know, I don't feel anyone's anger <laughs> or discontent. I don't feel it at all. It's very, like, I don't feel it. It does not penetrate what I am doing. Um, and I think that's the thing you have to bet on yourself and regardless if you're spiritual or not, if you are having a call to do something, please listen to yourself, listen to your intuition, your knowing, whatever your divine guidance is, because it's trying to teach you something. It's trying to show you the next step in your evolution, no matter what it Uh is. And I think the thing is, especially coming from like American culture, Everything has to have a definitive purpose with a destination. And life is ever evolving. When you think you're like at the top, something happens, right? Uh, That's the whole thing about building your life upon someone else's expectations of what they think is going to make you happy because you'll get there and it's not making you happy. And then, I don't know, the rug gets pulled out from under you because life is constantly changing. So you want to make sure you're building something that is for you, that you're following a path that you're like, life is changing, but this is my path, right? Because you will find yourself full of resentment at all these other people because of their their advice, what they forced you to do. And guess what? Also, you'll be full of anger and resentment and they'll be happy and be like, I don't know why you're so mad. Like, why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? Right? I mean, and I... And, you know, I think this is a conversation with a lot of expats just in general. It's just people look at their lives and go, well, I wish I could move to China. I wish I could move to like, I, I've, and I've heard it. And, you know, it's like, well, I wish I could move to like insert whatever country <laughs> and and don't let it be a warm country and let it not be a pretty warm country. <laughs> and, and then because no, no one's really like. No, actually, let me not say that because I'm about to clown on somebody's country. But like, do you know what I mean? Like in general, people see the photos and they're just like, well, I wish I could do it. And I'm like, I mean, you could because none of these people said it was easy because there's always a trade off. Right. We know if you choose to be a traveler, if you choose to be an expat, there's always a trade off. And so there's a trade that you make. There is I'm not going to be present at certain family events in person. I'm, I'm going to miss out on certain life things that happen. I have to navigate a new culture. I don't know. I have to build an entire new friend work if I've never lived in that country and don't know anybody. And so it's just super interesting, but I love what you said about that. You know, you've got to choose you and too often. And I was saying particularly, and I know that there are different people who listen to this podcast, but I think particularly women and particularly women of color, um, and I'm including, you know, non-Black women of color in there, is that often we do not choose ourselves. 100%. We 
And and that's a that's an issue. And so here's the thing that I, I wanna that I'm really interested in. You've already talked about it because if, if folks don't know and they would have heard this in the intro, you've got a podcast. At what point did you make the pivot to becoming an entrepreneur um, while living in Spain? Hmm. Well, I'm always a hustler. I'm always a hustler. I I, I, I just <laughs> I I see the problem. I want to uh, solve it. Uh, yeah. I enjoy making money. So there's that. But you know, so after I I took my sabbatical and I was teaching, um, I decided to move to Barcelona. That's where my ex partner lived, and I decided to join him there. And while, um, well, I guess. Before I made that move, I had met uh, a friend of mine, now a very dear friend. She was doing like a remote gig and I was helping her kind of while we're at the gym, kind of giving her business strategy and things like that about her company. And that led to a conversation about writing for her company. And so I kind of took these little steps. Like I started to uh, do some freelance writing for her company. They really liked me. They brought me on as a remote, fully remote um, business strategist for them. And that was great. And and that was wonderful. And that gave me something that I had when I moved to Barcelona. It was wonderful. I even took it on the the road. I ended up going um, to Asia, Southeast Asia for what, two months and late 2019. And it was great. But what I, I, I always knew is that I wanted to build something for myself because as an expat, um, I don't work on the local economy. Um, where am I like, what's my retirement fund? Like, what am I, what am I going to do? Right. What am I contributing to? I'm not going to be able to tap into the Spanish pension system. Like I may not stay in Spain. What am I going to do? So for me, It was always about building something of my own. Also, I don't take direction. I do take direction, but I don't. I don't like working for other people. I just don't. I, I'm <laughs> right? just like no. <laughs> I don't. Common common theme with the people who are in my expat circle. But yes. yeah, that's <laughs> why you're all entrepreneurs. <laughs> I totally understand. Like it would be easier, and I want people to know. Right. Like if you think being an entrepreneur is like fast money or fun and laptops on the beach. It's, um, it's not. <laughs> hate those images. I do, I hate them. Why are you claim? Look, I got a laptop on the beach photo on one of my sites because <laughs> she was pretty. She was a black woman doing it. But I know, right. I know what you're right. But they, like, that's the thing. Like, it's just like, if you think it's going to be that, it's not. It is working no. longer and harder, at least initially. And then depending really upon, you know, your industry, what you do, your current, you know, context, uh, how, you know, your timeline of client acquisition, all these things, right? Depending on how mm-hmm. much you need to work. But it is a lot of work. But I was like, I need to be serious about building wealth, like I had to be like, mm. I've been floating around. I've been doing this, doing that. Da, da, da. And I was like, I need to build wealth. I need to build, <laughs> like, I need to build wealth and I'm going to build my assets and my assets, my business using, utilizing my expertise as a business strategist to start building, obviously to have more robust income um, mm-hmm. was important so I can invest in different ways, but also to build brand and to build something that's tangible that I could leverage in different kinds of ways, because I'm a big believer in, in multiple harvests. When you're an employee, mm-hmm. you don't really have multiple harvests, right? You get paid and hopefully your employer matches like whatever your 401k contribution is. But as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I am 
I am building something that has multiple harvests. It has short-term harvest. The short-term harvest is being paid for what I'm doing right now, but there's midterm and mm-hmm. there's a long-term harvest that I'm continuously building. Um, and that's important to me. And so that's that's kind of how I came back into business strategy. And honestly, it kind of came together um, with the creation of my podcast. Because in my mind, my podcast was just a passion project to, um, mm. you know, one, it had been on my mind for a couple of years, but then, you know, the pandemic happened and Spain was like locked right. down. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I need something to do because I'm a Capricorn and I'm type A and this is crazy. <laughs> I need something to do to deal with this anxiety, right? And so that's what I did. But then it became clear for me that, these things are actually really tied together, right? Like for mm-hmm. me and my personality, my personal brand, how people know me, um, why people want to speak with me. It's really actually quite linked. And so then as the podcast grew, my business as a business strategist grew and it helped me niche yeah. and really helped me clarify my messaging and who I'm speaking to. And so that's how I came back to entrepreneurship and, it's been wonderful. I, I have to say, I think that um, my podcast has been such a blessing. I can't even, I, I, I can't, I, I, I got to testify. Right? I got to testify. Like, it's I mean, been great. I mean, we're, I mean, we're both, we're both podcasters. And, and here's the thing is that, and you've always been authentic and been very true about like this business journey is not the easiest and it's not for everyone. And it, and if you haven't already, she's done writing for the site and continues to write for our site, the Black Expat. But I think you're the, the, the joy of trying to trying to own something, because I love the fact that you tie it to legacy and you also tie it to like purpose. And and I think that that's what makes you successful is that too often you're right. When you see the photo of someone sitting on the beach, right? That's a snapshot in time. Really strong businesses. And I think really strong brands have an idea of who who they want people to know who they are, but also have a sense of purpose of why they're doing it. And so I think that what's really great about you is that, you know, you're real honest. You'd be like, look, you can run a business, but this is, this is the reality because you've been through it. And I think you've seen enough clients kind of go through some of the stumbling blocks that it makes it very, it, it's not just, I, I, let me put it this way. I get really annoyed about folks who say hustle culture, hustle culture, like you could just start a business and do whatever and X, Y, and Z. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, y'all haven't had the struggle piece yet. Because if you're you're making it sound like it's so easy to do some of these things and it's not. And it's even harder if you don't know why you're doing it and you have a purpose attached to it. And so, I mean, I love your podcast. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. If you have not heard Flourish in the Foreign, I think it's her. She's got a lane that other people don't have. I mean, especially marrying, looking at women of color, but also looking at wellness. Because that's not something we openly talk about as much, um, I think, in expat conversations and literature and and just even what you see on social media wellness with intentionality i think that's something that you really tap into especially with your guests that we don't really see that much in other spaces i mean i i agree and thank you so much for that it's very kind of you but look wellness isn't an afterthought 
wellness isn't when shit mm. hits the fan. Excuse my language. Wellness isn't for ish hitting the fan, <laughs> right? <laughs> and especially as an expat, um, wellness is not for if you're a trailing spouse and the anchor spouse leaves you for the nanny. Okay. Wellness. That's That's not, let me, let me put it all the way out there because I see a lot of crazy stuff. Wellness isn't for when the worst of the worst happens to you. Right. And wellness isn't just simply the fact of leaving one toxic situation um, and moving abroad and thinking it's going to resolve that situation. Wellness has to be intentional and ongoing, and it's a cultivation, which means it's work. And I know because, especially if you're American, you're like, I don't want to work. I work hard. I know. I know. But we're going to reframe what work and cultivation really means, okay? We're going to reframe that because your wellness really is, it's not, it's not bath bombs and crystals. It is professional wellness. It's financial wellness, right? Right. Mental, emotional, physical wellness, right? These are things that it's so important for you to tap into. And the first thing, right? And the reason why I think so many people have uh, so many struggles and, you know, life happens abroad, right? That's just what's going to happen. But I think the biggest reason why so many people have these kind of meltdowns or they go abroad and they're just completely like disillusioned. And I'm like, it's first because you didn't set an intention for your experience abroad, but also you have no definition of what wellness means to you. You don't have a definition for professional wellness, financial, anything. You're just going off vibes, Vibes that you can't even articulate into (laughs) words. And then when your feelings, you're feeling these feelings that you don't like, which you also don't articulate until you like start venting on Facebook group or whatever. Then you're like, it's this place. Not that you've ever seen this before in real time. (laughs) Look, I'm not going to call out a very particular Facebook group that I see this in, but I, there's there's one. I'm, I'm. Oh, I, you know, you know, people just get like, at, you know, and it's like a lot of times these situations, and I'm not saying this to accuse anyone or judge anyone, because I know this from personal experience. We are disappointed. Our expectations aren't yep. met. We feel like blindsided and betrayed about this. And it's like, but are, were we blindsided? Were we betrayed? Were we just not <laughs> right. intentional? Do we have a definition of what is satisfactory for us? A lot of times we don't because a lot of times we haven't even tapped into what we want and what we do not want. What is our standard in our life and what is not and why? A lot of times people just say, I want to be happy. It's like, what does that mean? And they literally cannot explain to you what it means, right? Uh, I, I, I uh-huh. just want to feel better. Well, what's making you feel bad right now? And they can't even articulate that. They may point to symptoms, right? Well, you know, I just really can't stand being in Spain. They love to siesta all the time. And why do they want to siesta all the time? And you're like, that's not what is, that's not what you're really mad about. You know, you know what's really funny is that, first of all, uh, <laughs> I haven't. I don't know if this interview is going to air before yours or afters, but I talked to Kensia McLemore, who is she's a career coach. She did 16 years in HR, so we talked a lot about this. 
in the same way. And I and I had also said, mm, the siesta is one of the best inventions that ever happened. I, the States, we just missed that boat. That two-hour shutdown is the thing. But we also talked about, you know, people being unhappy. Because she's looking at the context of, because you mentioned professional wellness. She's looking at the context of professional and career. And she said, you know, there's just some things where moving abroad is not going to help. You just need therapy. And you need, <laughs> hello. <laughs> just, I mean, because you know what I've said. I said, look, all you're doing is putting the same baggage and taking it across different time zones and different area codes. So if you ain't unpacked it, dumped it out before you've gotten on that flight to insert this country, all it is, is you've taken it to a new space. And so we were both like, sometimes people just need therapy. And I'll be honest, like I've done this long enough to, <laughs> to see some folks, <laughs> especially early on where I went, mm, you're running away which, okay, but you may want to get counseling for that before you blow up your life in a different country. Look. And, be, and, then, and then be mad and bitter and then say it's the country when I, I, this is the thing you have to understand. Millions of people live in this space and they make it work. You coming with your one experience, it might be a little bit might be you or it's a mismatch. And you have to admit I, that. I'm going to say that everybody needs therapy. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> everybody needs therapy. Um, I spoke with my therapist this past week and I feel better. But I mean, she brought up some things. So, you know, it's, it's a constant. <laughs> you're working through it. And you're constantly working through it. But especially if you are going abroad, like you're coming out, you're getting pulled out of your your cultural context and you right. are being placed into somewhere else and you are you you are denying yourself so much relief when you don't recognize that and recognize that is part of the dissonance that you're feeling. One is like, I am very different from everyone around me, right? I'm very different, right? right? right. Recognizing that, but also recognizing the gift there is in that. Wow, I'm very different in this space, right? I, I'm not thinking like everyone else is thinking, how can that benefit me? How can I actually surrender to this experience and maybe have a different way of life by, by embracing these differences? You know, that's part of mm. what I say is like living abroad can be a pathway to wellness, but it's not the changing of your geography. It is actually yeah. the embracing of the distance that you feel. It's about embracing the discomfort because it actually brings you to this radical awareness because you're present. You can't be a zombie all right. the time. Like you, right. you can't because you're like, wait, there's a new language. There's a new ways of doing it. Depending on where you are, I can't cross the street with traffic. I can't cross it. Like there's a lot of things going on. Right. <laughs> and so it brings you this radical awareness. And in that radical awareness, some people squirm. I mean, we all squirm. We're like, uh, I feel all the feet. I feel everything. I'm aware of everything. Right. It right. also allows you to pause and make a different decision. It's also going to feel uncomfortable right. because it's not what you typically do, but it's in that space of making a, an intentional decision that then maybe forms different habits and can create a different life and can create the space and provide the resources for wellness to happen. And people don't want to hear that. They want to say, I get on the plane, I arrive to Colombia and all the Colombians and all of their hospitality <laughs> heal me. And I'm like, it is peak privilege and craziness to think that moving to a different country is going to heal you that some other some other people who are just minding their own business are going to be like the balm, the salve to your wounds 
get a therapist, right? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You say this, and there are a couple of countries that come to mind where I think get some of that receiving behavior. Um, Some of them are Africa for particular reasons, and some of them are Southeast Asia. And people are mad when they don't feel that. And they're like, what's going on? People are so whatever. And like, people are minding their own business and living their own life. (laughs) This is more importantly, (laughs) right? They weren't waiting for you. (laughs) It's this whole like main character syndrome. And I'm like, yes, we're all the main character in our own life, but it's it's an ensemble cast here. Like, everybody else is doing some stuff. Like, right. Sorry, when you said that, I was like, that's so good. <laughs> no, I just, you you know, you and I can wax poetic for hours on. <laughs> on. So we're, we're going we're gonna to let that go. But, but here's what I think is cool. I think for those of you who are listening in, if you haven't had a chance to listen to her podcast, this is the kind of conversations and this is what she's having with the guests who come on to look at wellness in all these creative different ways that maybe we don't always consider. And so if you haven't had a chance, I'm going to say this again, you definitely want to check out for, I'm going to say flourish in the foreign (laughs) on whatever platform that you, you listen to podcasts because she's, she's doing a lot and we're talking about the podcast, but obviously she's a business strategist and she has all these other great things that you can find on the site as well. And so with that being said, I wanted to say, Christine, if people wanted to find you and work with you, um, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me all over the internet. And I also just want to say that uh, I interviewed Amanda and she is on my, uh, on my podcast. So you can check out her episode at flourishinthefloor.com <laughs> slash episodes slash Amanda. We actually had a really, really great conversation. So you guys could check that out. But <laughs> if, and that's how I first met her. I don't think I, I, if I, if you didn't know this, it was through her podcast that I first, she got on my radar. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you resonate with, you know, this conversation and you want to learn more about me, obviously check out the podcast at flourishintheforeign.com. I have some really great resources about moving abroad with intention. You can find that at flourishintheforeign.com slash resources, guidebooks. I even have a guidebook, um, for building a business abroad. And nice. uh, I have a course about moving abroad with intention that I really, really love. And it mm-hmm. has a community that's attached to it. I have a group coaching program about building a business abroad, which is my heart because I love building businesses. I love talking about business. I love talking shop. Me too. Same. I just love same. it. Love it. I think it's wonderful. Same. Probably more, Probably more than anything else, talking about businesses within an international context too are just... Yeah. It. It's just fascinating and it's great. And I love, you know, my clients making money. It's just wonderful. It's like, it it fulfills my Capricorn heart. I just love it so much. Um, So you can find, yeah, information about Little Business Abroad there at the website, flourishandforeign.com. You can learn more about me personally at christinejob.com. Check out the YouTube channel, Flourish in the Foreign, Mm -hmm. Instagram, Flourish Foreign. And yeah, I'm out here. And here's a great the great thing. If you are looking for Christine and you missed all of that somehow, we will have her contact in the show notes. We will have it. It's up on our website with this post. It is everywhere. So you'll be able to find her. If at the very worst case scenario, I say this for most people, 
follow us <laughs> and we follow her. Yes. And so you can either go through the Black Expat Instagram or any of our social medias um, in addition to that. Or you could go onto the Global Chatter social medias and we're probably following her for sure. So, all right, Christine, as always, you know, I love talk. Like we talk, I feel like we talk all the time. We halfway have our own show given the, <laughs> the amount of stuff we've been on. I mean, we really should just have the Amanda and Christine show. We can just talk about whatever. Look, I don't know if y'all are ready because I think sometimes, I mean, <laughs> you know, people don't want to hear the truth, truth. And I'm like, come on. The best stuff might be for the, you got a private community. That might be where we do the, 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 this is what we say off air stuff. And and I think so. I think inside the private community, I want to get super real. I want it to be a safe and warm uh, space, mm-hmm. but to have real conversations with current uh, expats, repats, aspiring people who are really wanting to have deep conversations about wellness and their experience abroad. It's so important. Um, and that's also where I have uh, a lot of the past podcast guest uh, interviews and things like that. I'm migrating them over to that space and um, yeah. hopefully doing a, a spicy conversation about dating abroad. So y'all, y'all keep, stay tuned for that. We already know my, my thoughts on that. So anyway, anyway, thank you so much, Christine, for coming on. And if you are interested, once again, like I said, you can just check out any of our social media as well as our website. She is also one of our expat coaches. So if you go to the coaching directory, you can see her and connect with her. Thank you again for listening. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Fuccio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.